many organizations are thinking about how do we get back to the office? What does that look like? Hybrid, fully remote. What are some things that we could do to make our office space that much more amenable to others? It's pretty easy to get people to come back to the office when you work at a former nuclear bunker, the Cold War era nuclear bunker. That just screams, you know, inviting and uh, come back to work. And Google's Zurich office, they have pods for employees to get some peace and quiet. They're actually called rest pods, where I guess they're encouraged to go in and take a nap. How about that? Or you can shoot hoops at uh, Adobe. When are these people doing this? Like, when do they have time, you know, to go take a nap and, like, you know, go play around a horse? Or maybe I can just go home early. Like, maybe let's do that. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode number 266 of Touchpoint. I'm Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed. Hanging out here in my home office. I'm thinking I might shoot some hoops later. Uh, I'm in my office office and do have a Gatorade water bottle, so that's close. That's the closest that a lot of us will get to actual exercise. And I do have a, a mini football helmet and a baseball in here, so I'm almost a sporting goods store. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Touchpoint. Uh, like I mentioned, that's Chris Boyer and Reed Smith. We've been doing this now for 266, well, 265. This We're part of the way into 266 times, I guess. And if you'd love to know more about what you're listening to, you can do so over at touchpoint.health. That's the website where you can learn more about this particular episode you're listening to, the show as a whole, Chris or myself, how to get in contact with us, a little bit about us, that kind of fun stuff, as well as other shows on the network, other show hosts, topics. And while they're all healthcare related, they do have a little bit of a different spin, some of them in pharma and med device or you know some from more of a nursing background, et cetera. would encourage you to do that. And I uh, just want to thank you again for either coming back and listening to another episode or joining us for the first time. We're going to pause for just one second. And when you go to the website, We'd love for you to go there. Again, touchpoint.health. Up at the top, TPS report. You'll see it in the navigation. That's a way you can sign up for uh, a weekly email. And I know what you're thinking, and it's not something that we're going to email you all the time and ask you to do a whole bunch of stuff. It's just simply five articles to start your week. comes out each Monday morning, and that's really the extent of it. So anyway, we'll pause and be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. 
And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. So as we start to pivot back to post-pandemic, I don't know if we could say that quite yet, but I guess we are kind of in that post-pandemic, moving to an endemic phase of, of the last couple of years, Reed. One of the things that we have talked about often, we talk about how like digital health solutions like telemedicine and other things really kind of took on their own life over the last couple of years of the pandemic. And I thought it would be good for us to maybe kind of reorient around where we're at with telemedicine and what's the next wave going to look like. And you found a, a great article from McKinsey and Company, big consulting firm. And as you might imagine, they dug into this quite a bit. So a recent article from them, patients love telehealth, physicians are not so sure. I think we can all agree, physicians and patients alike, that telemedicine, telehealth is really important for us to kind of help support a variety of different care options. There's also a fair role where real in-person type of care actually also plays an important role with patients when engaging with patients. And the article starts off by differentiating between the two by using a cute acronym. So in real life care or IRL care is sort of this in-person care. And they keep referring to sort of telemedicine or virtual care as URL care. Oh boy. (laughs) Well, there you go. I mean, even though you're not technically on a URL in some cases, it could be an app, but I get it. I get it. It's virtual. It's clever. Well, it is. It's clever. IRL versus URL. Uh, So I'm going to use that in a meeting coming up. Okay, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) But they said in here, you know, the onset of the pandemic, which again, March 2020. So as we record this, man, we're literally like two years. They talk about that both physicians and patients embraced telehealth. So in April of 2020, the number of virtual visits, they say, was a stunning 78 times higher than had been two months earlier, 78 times higher than had been just the two months prior, accounting for nearly one third of all outpatient visits. Wow. And then flash forward like a year in May of 2021, McKinsey did another survey where they found that 88% of consumers said that they had used telehealth services at some point since the pandemic began. And that 83% of physicians in this in a separate survey around the same time also offered virtual services. So clearly, even a year into the pandemic, this usage of telehealth was was there. Kind of continue down that track, timeline, if you will. It's linear. That's how timelines work. So by mid-2021, consumers embrace telehealth appeared to have dimmed a little bit, right? So utilization was down to 38 times pre-COVID-19 levels. So here's the funny part. If you would have said before the pandemic started, you know, if you were a consultant or had a business and you went into an organization that says, I can drive your telehealth or virtual care visits up, you know, by 38x, you could have like retired, you know, in like a year's time. You know what I mean? But we're seeing that, that huge inflection and then, you know, back down. What they talk about in here, though, that is you know more physicians are offering telehealth, but recommending in-person care when possible. So we've gotten to kind of this midpoint in 2021 where 
you know, people were out and about a little bit more trying to get back to normal. This is probably pre-Omicron, I guess, after Delta, so kind of in between the two maybe. The suggestion here is that physicians are gravitating away from the virtual site or URL and would prefer to return to you know in-person or IRL care delivery. I think that's an interesting change. That's not to say that telehealth is going to go away. It's just now there's sort of like a, a preference kind of rising up again. And, you know, once again, I'm wondering if we're going to start to talk about how the last two years was sort of the golden age of telemedicine. And now it's like kind of right sizing itself. And maybe even it's going to become like the redheaded stepchild, no offense to all the redheaded people listening in today, but like, you know, that, that stepchild of care delivery, because there's sort of this preference now going back, at least driving from both consumers as well as physicians to getting back to that in real life care. And so the article goes on to kind of say, as we continue through Wherever we're at in the this COVID-19 pandemic slash endemic, there are three emerging trends that could set the stage for the next few years. And we thought it would be interesting to kind of go into these each read and see how this aligns to what we're seeing within our health systems. Well, the first one they call out here is the growth of virtual care providers suggest that demand by patients is persistent and growing. We talked about it going up and coming down. Well, it's still a lot more than it was pre-pandemic. And and a couple of data points here, Teladoc, which everybody's familiar with, at least by name, increased the number of visits by 156% in 2020 and revenues jumped by 107% year over year. You know, another you know well-known provider in this space, Amwell, increased uh, its supply providers by 950%. I thought we were just making up numbers now. You know, one, <laughs> one billion percentage point. Yeah. And by contrast, only 45% of physicians have been able to invest in telehealth during the pandemic, and only 16% have invested in other digital tools. And finally, just 41% believe they have the technology to deliver telehealth seamlessly. So what we're seeing is still a need more than it was pre-pandemic, certainly. That's spiked, it's leveling out, but it's still a lot more and increasing. Uh, but that there is the valuation and kind of need to, uh, from the technology side, make sure that we can support all this. Yeah. And I mean, with last week's announcement of Amazon Care and Teladoc's partnership and about how they're rolling out telehealth dramatically through Amazon, clearly there is a market for this, right, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the whole point here. But the second trend that kind of influences this is that relationship between the physician and the patient. McKenzie is noticing there's some shifts there as well. They did a a survey back in April of 2021. This is a physician survey that showed that 58% of respondents reported that they had lost patients to other physicians or other health systems since the start of the pandemic. So there's been kind of a shift there of loyalty. And another point here in August 2021, a survey that McKinsey did of consumers showed that those who had a primary care physician... 15% of them switched over the past year. There's a lot of shift here in the the primary care world, right? Here's a couple other sets that are just interesting. 35% of all consumers reported seeing a new healthcare provider who is not their regular primary care provider in the past year. 35% cited that one or more reasons of this change was related to patient experience. They wanted to find a doctor that was better understanding of their needs or an overall better experience or actually just access, right? Those are, these are some key trends here. 
just half of the consumers with a primary care doctors currently say they are satisfied with their primary care doctor. So think about that in the construct of the relationship between the patient and the physician. You know, I would wager a guess the half of people that are satisfied versus not satisfied with their PCP. Do you think that is because most people don't actually have a relationship, right? They may have a PCP, but they're not there enough. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? So somebody that has more of a chronic illness or you know something that needs to be kept up with on a more frequent basis, I would assume has a better relationship with their care team, maybe not even just PCPs, but their care team versus somebody who is, you know, take a 24 year old that is otherwise healthy and never really, you know, had to go to the doctor much. Well, they, I mean, they, God, they don't care. There is something to that, Reed. There is a, a place for telehealth. And in fact, a little bit later, we're going to get into some some recommendations that they have around how to shift that. But I think you're definitely right. But before we get there, let's talk about one of the other trends that we're seeing here. Yeah. The third trend, the last one here, uh, physicians and patients see telehealth differently. So they're talking here about that while two-thirds of physicians and 60% of patients say that they agree that virtual health uh, is more convenient than in-person, only 36% of those physicians find it more convenient for themselves. So I don't think so I guess the point here is and that's an interesting distinction. No one's debating the fact that this is more convenient for the patient. It's just some of those physicians are not so sure that it's convenient for them actually providing the care, right? Right. Most said that they expect a return to primarily an in-person delivery model over the next year. 62% say that they recommend in-person over virtual care. Physicians expect that telehealth to account for, you know, a third less visits, you know. So, again, you, you start seeing a lot of physicians wanting to shift back to that traditional model or kind of what they were used to or had before. Another data point here, 40% of patients in May 2021, so May 2021, think about that, a little over a year into the pandemic, said that they believe they will continue to use telehealth in the aftermath, you know, post-pandemic, if you will. Fast forward a little bit to November 2021, 55% of patients say they were more satisfied with those virtual care visits than the in-person appointments. 35% of consumers are currently using other digital services, you know, ordering prescriptions online, for example, home delivery, et cetera. And of these, 42% stated that using these services during the pandemic and plan to keep using them, an additional 15% are interested in starting these digital services. Hmm. And not to be lost on all of this is reimbursement. There's a lot of conversation about how we're going to be paying for this. And quite honestly, a lot of times that kind of leads the adoption or non-adoption of some of these tools. More than half of the physician respondents said that if virtual rates were 15% lower than in-person rates, which is currently being considered, they're going to be less likely to offer telehealth. Or it's going to be a supplement or something like that, right? It's not going to be this primary mechanism. And I think we're set up to see in person. Like that's just what, so everybody's defaulting back to that, I think, to some extent. Not everybody, but a lot of people want to default back to that. Well, let's do this, Reed. Let's take a brief pause here. And then when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit about another thing that's kind of shaping the way telehealth is being used, and that's at-home care. And then we'll also share some suggestions that uh, Mackenzie put together about 
how we can actually start to consider the role of these two things, telemedicine as well as at-home care in the future state. We'll do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Okay, so not unlike virtual care, you know, when we're thinking about care models and things like that, a topic and term that we've heard a lot about is hospital at home and remote patient monitoring and like all those types of things, right? And so uh, we've got an interesting article here, um, again, from McKinsey, a call from facility to home, how healthcare could shift by 2025. So this is talking predominantly about kind of that home care, hospital at home model. And this is a huge market. They're estimating $265 billion worth of care services can fit in this, the home care model. That number represents a three to four-fold increase in the cost of care being delivered at home for today at this time. So think about that. In the next two decades, they're anticipating there's going to be a significant shift to this at-home care. Of course, they don't know how this shift is going to affect reimbursement rates, but still, there are several factors that are kind of affecting this adoption of this services. There are, and we'll jump into those. So the first one is uh, care at home may deliver more value and higher quality care. Uh, they're talking here about the United States facing the ongoing COVID-19 crisis and stakeholders are exploring ways to provide quality care, specifically high quality care uh, for an aging population. Care at home or hospital at home with examples including primary care visits via telehealth, which we talked a little bit earlier, self-administered dialysis, you know, skilled nursing facility services at home with remote patient monitoring and support for you know, activities of daily living. These interventions can be delivered to different kinds of patient archetypes. So, for example, high-risk patients with chronic conditions or those with low risk. Um, and so it's like throughout the patient journey, diagnosis, treatment, discharge, self-care is either you know a point solution or a comprehensive offering. So it could just kind of hit in the diagnosis piece. It could hit you know, during the treatment discharge or, you know, kind of post-discharge, which is probably where everybody's mind initially goes, kind of post-stay and at home, you know, self-care. To understand the percentage of care being delivered in an office or facility today that could be provided at home, there was a survey that, again, McKinsey did, that served predominantly Medicare, FFS, and MA patients, and they found that 16% of respondents aged 65 and older said that they are more likely now than they were before the pandemic to consider and receive home health services. Some have conditions that could be treated at home at a substantially lower cost. Primary care, outpatient specialist consults, emergency department and urgent care, even hospice and outpatient mental and behavioral health visits. They estimate 15 to 40% of Medicare FFS and MA spending 
could be delivered at home. That's a big chunk. Other services where capabilities you know, exist that could be kind of stitched together for one of those at-home offerings are things like yep. dialysis, post-acute care, and even long-term care infusions, which, again, roughly about 15 to 40% of our spending with Medicare can be done cheaper. A last category, acute care, that's roughly 20 to 30% of Medicare spending right now. CMS has indicated that treatment for more than 60 different acute conditions, such as asthma, CHF, pneumonia, even COPD, can be treated appropriately and safely in home settings with proper monitoring and treatment protocols. Even CMS is pointing towards, have we considered doing this in in the care at home model? I mean, we're seeing more and more disruptors in this space. You know, we had a couple of them as clients when I was at Girard, even in kind of the hospital at home category. And, you know, now we're starting to see them being purchased by larger organizations because they're understanding that these models are changing. So like we talked about earlier, I think in that initial McKinsey piece is that, uh, you know, physicians and patients see telehealth differently and that the patient physician relationship is shifting. That's similar to, you know, how people, you know, think about where and how they receive care. To kind of sum this up, we want to talk about what McKinsey feels are four critical actions for providers to consider when evaluating telehealth and even care at home. So we'll, we'll go through those really quick here, Reed. What's the first one? Determining the most clinically appropriate setting. Now, I would leave this up to the marketing department, clearly. <laughs> um, no, I'm just I'm, I'm kidding. Where's the appropriate setting for care to take place, right? So uh, they're talking here about that almost half of physicians said they regard telehealth at home care as, as appropriate for the treatment of ongoing chronic conditions. And that 38% said they believe it's appropriate when patients you know, have an acute change in health. Increases of 26 and 17 percentage points, respectively, you know, over the last uh, couple of years. Mm-hmm. Physicians remain conservative in their views of telehealth effectiveness compared to in-person care. And there's still a dialogue here around where does it happen you know, and what's appropriate. Another thing, too, that they indicate is you need to assess what the patient wants and needs. And you need to do that with markets and segments. And this is where actually marketing can play a, play a role here, right? Some of the respondents I saw that is that younger people under the age of 55, people in higher income brackets, household incomes of 100000 or more, and people with individual or employer-sponsored group insurance are more likely to use telehealth and maybe even at-home care if it was offered. Yeah. But that demand also is higher for virtual mental and behavioral health solutions. 62% of mental health patients completed their most recent appointments virtually, but only 20% of patients logged in to see their primary care provider, gynecologist, or pediatrician. So that's clearly a, a win here, right? So you need to understand what your patient wants and needs are. Having marketing behind you, they can help you with the segmentation so that you could start to do that outreach. Third on the list, partner with physicians to define a new operating model. So again, this, I guess, kind of dovetails with the first one a little bit on, you know, where do we do what and when and, you know, those types of things. But as physicians evaluate their process, they say 46% said that they uh, prefer to offer a couple of hours of virtual care each day at the most. 29% would like to offer none at all, <laughs> which I don't know that that's, a, I'm not sure that's possible, right? Up to 10 percentage points since September of 2020. Just 11% 
would dedicate one full day a week to telehealth. Almost none would want, you know, to just be doing that full time, which I I get and understand and probably is appropriate, right? Providers uh, can try to meet the needs and the expectations of physicians doing so by offering visualized schedules where, you know, physicians who prefer telehealth while allowing other physicians to remain in person only. So, you know, the Mm -hmm. flexibility there. Mm You know, matching preferences of certain physicians, you know, is going to be good certainly for the physician, but also for the patient. And digital first solutions, so like scheduling, registration, all the communication mediums like SMS and things like that could also increase the reach of in-person only care providers to 60% of consumers interested in these digital solutions after the pandemic. I guess the idea here is flexibility, yes, check. But even those that maybe only want to see people uh, in person, it doesn't mean that they don't want to connect with people through the registration process, the you know communication mediums, things like that. So I think we can still serve a lot of folks kind of in that hybrid world of they want to communicate and do everything virtually, but they'd like to see the physician in person. I love the idea of that flexibility too, of offering to some, maybe there are some physicians that just want to do virtual care, right? And providing that. And we see that more and more. The last factor here, the last of the four critical actions they suggest here is to make sure that you're communicating to patients and others clearly. Physicians are still the most trusted source of clinical information by patients. 90% consider providers trustworthy for healthcare relations. So you need to include providers as, as being part of that conversation and counseling patients on when is it appropriate to do in real life versus virtual or URL care. Considering that many providers are kind of wanting to kind of shy away from that, I think it's important to to align this as we're all together in this goal here to help patients receive the care they need in a timely manner and in the most appropriate clinical setting. As with everything else, this is like a change management solution here, Reed. When we start to consider the next wave of telemedicine and at-home care, we have to work our organizations through that change. This leads us in nicely to a conversation I had recently with uh, Dr. Pete Alperin. Dr. Alperin is a uh, practicing physician, but has been the VP of product and been part of Doximity, which many will, will recognize that name, for going on 12 years, which is the equivalent to like 127 normal years or something <laughs> in the digital space. So anyway, he's been around this a long time, certainly. And Doximity is one of those that has uh, come out of a recent study around telemedicine, but also provided and created a product to work in the uh, telehealth space when the pandemic hit. So I had a really interesting conversation with him and was able to chat a little bit about uh, how they think about telemedicine, telehealth, and uh, where they're going from here. So we'll uh, pause real quick and then be back with a conversation with Dr. Pete Alpert. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast. Today, I am fortunate to be joined by friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Pete Alperin from Doximity. Welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here, Reed. Thanks. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. You've been around this for a while. You've been at Doximity for, what, a dozen years or so at this point? Or there about 10, 12 years? Yeah, around 10. Around 10, yeah. Yeah. Well, those that are not familiar, maybe just a minute or two on your background and then also... 
Uh, I would assume everybody listening knows who Doximity is, but just in case somebody out there is new to the industry or something, just a little blurb on on what you guys do, and then we'll we'll jump in and talk a little bit. So um, Doximity is a professional network for uh, physicians and other healthcare professionals, nurse practitioners, PAs, and uh, we are used by over gosh seventy five percent of of uh, healthcare professionals out there are on Doximity and have a, you know, use us on a regular basis. And we can do a variety of different things. You can connect with other doctors. You can use our telehealth solution, which uh, has been very, very aggressively adopted. You can earn CME, catch up on the news, a variety of different things. So kind of think of it like a, a network that's optimized for healthcare professionals. And then my role, uh, I'm a physician by training. I'm an internist. I'm still clinically active, but I've spent the better part of the past 20 years in uh, this one form or another of digital health. And I've been at Doximity initially as an advisor and as a full-time person for 10 plus years. And I think you know people probably that have been in the industry, especially those listening to this particular podcast, marketing communications professionals, things like that, probably do know Doximity. Kind of equate that with the you know the quote unquote LinkedIn for physicians, you know, kind of a <laughs> thing. That's you know how a lot of people I think have thought about it through the years. But with Dialer and you know all the different things that you guys have done, obviously there's different things. Or you mentioned telemedicine, and that's kind of what we wanted to camp out on for a minute. Now you guys recently came out with. Uh, the second edition of the State of Telemedicine report. Chris and I have talked about just the adoption of, of telemedicine, and I think it's probably not hard to imagine what the pandemic has done for that because we've had to do everything virtually, at least in those initial days and weeks and months. But but what did you guys see? I mean, you've got a solution in that space. So how did you guys kind of see that adoption take off? Yeah. So, you know, the, the if you kind of rewind to March of 2020, when the pandemic became real, at least in the United States, we had already had an existing voice solution called, um, you know, Doximity Dialer, which was a tool that physicians had already adopted pretty widely to be able to use their cell phone, kind of like their office phone, make it such that they could call patients and it would appear as if it was coming from their their office, which helped them communicate better and, and be able to use their mobile phone more easily for their clinical care. Then the pandemic happened and and boy, we we saw that the world had changed in a variety of ways. And then in terms of healthcare, uh, we saw that uh, you know doctors were going to need a really easy to use solution. So we developed Doximity Dialer Video. And that was a tool that we didn't have uh, in March of 2020. Uh, we got it rolling in a couple of weeks, um, obviously have iterated greatly since then. And by the end of, of 2020, we were the most used video platform for at least as measured by number of visits, you know, of any platform in, uh, in the country. And, you know, we made it available to all those, all of our users and a variety of users um, at the time. And then now we've obviously tailored that tool to, to more useful for hospitals and health systems and, and groups like that. That's very cool. So obviously everybody used it initially, right? And for those, um, we've referenced the Gartner hype cycle probably a number of times over the course of this podcast. But you know, typically the way that works is there's something happens. There's an inflection point. In this case, it was the pandemic, obviously, and adoption. I'm sure kind of went through the roof, you know, and then it kind of crests over the hill, and you kind of come down to this the trough of disillusionment or whatever they call it. And then it, you know, then it kind of climbs out of that because people find what the meaningful use case is and how this practically works for them. And then it gets into like a real business case at that point. I, where, where are we on all of that? Have we peaked and it's kind of come back down and now we're 
coming back up or I, from an adoption standpoint? The, the honest answer is um, that I'm not 100% sure, but based on what we're see- we've seen is that you know, at the height of the pandemic, when no one was able to see their physician in person, then all visits were done w- virtually. And that was obviously a state that was not going to be sustained. But what we've seen now is things are settling back down into this, what we're, we're, we're guessing is just the more permanent range is that both patients really love virtual care and they like the convenience that it offers and they like the ability to see their own doctor. In fact, one of the things that we learned was that Patients would actually rather wait a day or two to be able to see their own physician rather than be able to instantly get on with someone who's different. Um, and that just is a is an indicator that patients still want that relationship. But what it also says is that every physician needs to think about how they want to you know, incorporate this into their practice. From the physician's perspective, it requires some additional adjustment. But to your point about you know, finding a permanent business case, you know, telemedicine is here to stay. And it's something that uh, physicians are going to need to to incorporate into their practice in one way or another and find out the way that works for them. Um, and there's some very practical cases where it really does improve life for both parties. So, you know, when it's a win-win on both sides, that's a good thing. Does it matter who I am as the patient or what type of doctor I'm trying to find or where I live or anything like that? I know you guys looked at all of this, but is that is that an indication of, uh, of adoption at all? We have found that telemedicine does tend to be, you know, utilized more by physicians who provide care to patients with chronic illnesses. So, for instance, endocrinologists for patients with diabetes, uh, behavioral health has also been a big, you know, area of uptake from a specialty perspective. So, I does I do think it matters a little bit what your, you know, what patient you are in terms of what type of care you're seeking, and then what type of care you deliver in terms of the, being a provider. But that said, I mean, we've seen adoption in all clinically oriented specialties. And, you know, we hear, I've got anecdote after anecdote of, you know, general surgeons who use this as a, as a tool for them to be able to reach out to patients after they've, you know, they've done surgery and they're on rounds. So they have 15 minutes between a case or something they'd like to follow up. They give a quick dialer video call because they like the ability to reach out to somebody and connect with them a day after, as opposed to making a phone call. While it matters a little bit, we've really seen widespread adoption across specialties and, and frankly, all ages um, of physician and status of career, so older physicians and younger physicians as well. And I would assume, you know, as the patient, again, you talk about the chronic disease management and some of that kind of thing. Well, I would assume, you know, fortunately, I guess, um, I, you know, I haven't fallen in that, ca- you know, I don't, I don't have diabetes, I haven't, you know, had cancer or so, you know, something that required kind of an ongoing monitoring, I guess. But it does seem like that that's a, a natural extension for this, right? And you're saving the patient the drive and the parking and the waiting and the, th- you know, to just hop on, ask a few questions. Everybody gets to move on with their day. Somebody didn't have to take off a day of work or a half day of work or what have you. And I heard a story the other day. It's like, you know, we, we asked this single mother who lives in this rural community uh, who works at one of the big box stores to come in. Well, she's got to take off work, find somebody to watch the kids, drive an hour to get there to wait forever to finally for them to go, well, so how are you feeling? And she's like, I feel fine. They're like, great. (laughs) And it's like, what? (laughs) I couldn't afford to take off all day first off. And I had to, you know, so there's all kinds of, I guess, practical ways that we'll see this stick. Geographically, 
you know, maybe there's some differences there. You live in a small town. It may be as easy just to pop by the doctor's office or something. And it's super simple versus living in Houston or something. But one thing, though, that I noticed and I saw it in the report, which I thought was really interesting. It's just never really dawned on me is the preference for the type of device computer uh, or laptop versus mobile phone. What did you guys see there? I never really thought much about that from a physician standpoint or a, or a uh, consumer standpoint. We were surprised too, but you know, the most ubiquitous thing that people have is a smartphone. Everybody has a smartphone. So we wanted to be really sure that our solution worked um, on a mobile phone. And when we actually poll patients as part of our report, I think that might be what you're referencing you know, 50% said they preferred to have the visit on their mobile phone. And it's because it's easy. It's always in their pocket. Got to make sure it's charged. Like we've all run into that. But by and large, you see a significant drop when it comes to, you know, the penetration of say a laptop or desktop computer. Uh, And what's nice about a mobile phone, of course, too, is it can work off of a cell network and doesn't have to work off of of your Wi-Fi. So it's better for people who don't necessarily have good bandwidth. And the other thing that we've learned is that, you know, in terms of in a mobile phone can be really helpful for this is that patients don't like sitting in a virtual waiting room because when they're sitting there, they're kind of twiddling their thumbs and they don't really know what's going on. So we developed this texting ability so that what we do is we just text you when everything's ready. So you just hop on and you get a text, kind of like when you go to a restaurant nowadays, right? Like you, put your, <laughs> you put your phone number in and maybe you go to the place next door and, and uh, you know, have a cocktail or something or whatever you might be doing. And then you get a text and you come on back. And so I think that um, that is a very familiar way of doing things for, for patients. And so, you know, the key thing about delivering health is meeting patients where they are and making sure that you're able to, to meet them in those circumstances. And when you build something that's easy to use, the technology disappears. And what you have is you, you have a better connection with the patient, which is ultimately what good care is about. If you have trust, if you can build trust with the patient, then you're going to have better clinical outcomes because patients are going to be more likely to tell you what's really going on. And they're also going to be more likely to follow the recommendations that you're going to give them because they trust you. And when technology doesn't get in the way, when it gets in the way and it's clunky and things drop or they can't download, you know, the the app onto their phone, that causes an issue. So, you know, making the technology simple and making it work on that thing that everybody has, which is the mobile phone, has really been a been been a key driver for us. I would assume this leads into, you know, we we continue to have conversations around the social determinants of health or health equity. What role is telemedicine playing kind of in that world? You know, it's playing a variety of roles. It definitely allows you to reach underserved populations more easily. And we've seen significant uptake in that as well. It is a more efficient way of delivering care. I mean, you had mentioned smaller towns in a, in a previous comment where it might be easier for that person to go see their local physician. But an issue on the flip side with smaller towns, for instance, is that they may not have all the specialties represented that they actually they need. So if you're having that, you know, you need that 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 derm consult with the not just a dermatologist, but someone who specializes in a particular area of dermatology, say psoriasis, for instance, that may be a difficult thing to do to have to drive two and a half hours to Nashville or to drive, you know, to whatever your nearest population center is. So the ability of telehealth to be able to deliver that service has been something that's been very promising. And, you know, we have a lot of good feedback from our health system partners that that's uh, something that they've been successful with. This is really, really interesting. And and I would encourage folks, we'll link to it certainly, but to download the report, uh, spend a little bit of time with it. I I would assume uh, most, well, I would assume 
is probably maybe the right way to say it. But I, w- I would guess most organizations are having these conversations about what telehealth looks like and means to them long term. Obviously, everybody was doing it because they had to, but it's kind of like a now what kind of conversation, I guess. But those that are listening to the show, mostly marketing communications professionals, what's the opportunity uh, for those of us in that space? You know, are there conversations to go be you know having within with, with folks around the organization? Is there uh, uh, a way that we should think about marketing communications as it relates to you know kind of trying to drive these initiatives? I think a key thing here is to you know really involve your physicians and your care leadership in developing these solutions because it's got to work for everybody and obviously the patients ultimately who it has to work for but it has to work for all the all the players right because otherwise people aren't going to want to do it or it's not going to be as efficient and I do think that it is really important for health systems that are trying to think about how they incorporate. Uh, virtual care to to realize that it's not really an option to say you're not going to do it, and that you know my physicians want everybody to be back in the to to see everybody in person because it really doesn't make sense and hasn't made sense for a long time. The ability to do that is going to be critical because you know if another if one institution does it well and the other institution doesn't, then you're going to lose that initial connection with the patient and probably going to lose that patient you know to that other system for a much longer period of time. And we all know that you know referrals are important. They drive they drive the business, and it's really critical that that each institution does it well. Well, we hear so much about convenience, and I'm, I and I do think as the acuity goes down, you know, convenience plays a bigger factor in that. Certainly, you know, you're not probably not going to drive past a lot of urgent care centers to get to another urgent care center unless you've had a bad experience, maybe or something like that. So, I think this fits in there somewhere, and I think certainly. I know for myself, uh, if I can just do a virtual visit, it's you know much more likely that I'm going to do it sooner on a more regular basis. You know, it's probably better for me, better, better, better for the whole. Hundred percent. You know, versus like, oh man, it's been three years and I haven't you know had a physical you know kind of a deal. So you know, if you could stay connected, it it, it makes a ton more sense. So. You know, as we kind of wrap this up, I, you know, people, I, I, you know, may want to reach out, may want to connect. What's the the best way for them to to do that? Sure, no problem. I'm on LinkedIn, and but honestly, the easiest way to reach me is just to email me. I'm Pete at Doximity dot com. So super simple, just Pete at Doximity dot com. Man, that is a simple email address. You're, you've been there. You've been there a while. That you've got just the just the first name. Yeah, and we'll we'll link to all this, and certainly again, like that, like I said, the study. And, you know, LinkedIn profile, all that kind of fun stuff. But, uh, man, I appreciate you coming on for a few minutes and uh, look forward to having you back in the future. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, It's been a lot of fun. Special thanks to Dr. Pete Alpern for coming on the show. Uh, Doc Simony's been a long time friend and supporter of the show, certainly, and, and it's been great to be uh, connected uh, through him uh, to the fine folks there for some time. So, look forward to hopefully running into a few of these folks in person this year at conferences and all that kind of fun stuff. Again, I mentioned the TPS report earlier. If you sign up for that email, it'll also have some links on there about upcoming conferences that you might want to consider and register for. Uh, but even before that, Chris, uh, you and I can be found on the interwebs sharing advice in the form of a webinar, right? Yeah, we're doing a webinar for Medicom at the end of this month. 
So keep an eye out for that. We'll link to it on our on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. But we're going to be talking about a topic very close to what we were talking about today and the digital savvy healthcare consumer and how, you know, post-pandemic now, we have created digital healthcare consumers and how organizations have to shift their strategies to address this new digital healthcare consumer. And that affects everything from marketing communications plan, digital front door strategies, digital health innovation solutions, even patient experience initiatives. So it's going to be an interesting uh, conversation. Look for it, sign up. It's a free webinar and uh, we'll link to it in the show notes as well. Also, if you were so inclined, Chris and I, both being individuals at healthcare systems, doing digital and all kinds of fun stuff, are looking for a few folks to join our teams. So if you're interested and want to know more, know somebody that might find that information valuable, uh, have them reach out to us, uh, connect with us on LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever whatever makes sense. But we'd love to, to visit with folks about what I'm doing, and I know Chris would, would like to do the same. Absolutely. So a couple of recommendations before we uh, before we wrap up. Uh, what do you have today? Reed, I'm going to recommend a book that was recently recommended to me by another gentleman who's been on the show before, Steve Koch. He recommended a book uh, based on this whole concept of build versus buy. I know that's been a mm. very big topic, right? It's called Escaping the Build Trap, How Effective Product Management Can Create Real Value. It's not specific around the healthcare industry, but it's just generally about... In today's market, you know, organizations need to adopt a culture of consumer-centric practices and that we often fall into, as organizations, into this build trap where we crank out features to meet the schedule rather than what the consumer's actual needs are. The person who wrote this book kind of lays out foundations of how product management can solve by understanding customer problems and kind of moving us away from this whole concept of, you know, the whole build trap that we, we get ourselves into. There's five sections, how organizations uh, cultivate the value that uh, product features have, how to set up a product organization that scales. And then it gets even further into how do you produce value, what an iterative product framework looks like, and how to build that culture within your product teams, within your innovation teams. So it's a really fascinating book. Again, I'm about two-fifths of the way through, and I love it. The, it's called Escaping the Build Trap, How Effective Product Management Creates Real Value, and it's by Alyssa Perry. Strongly recommend it. Nice. I am going to recommend uh, a water bottle. I'm not really sure why, but it just <laughs> I find it I find it interesting and it, it's just kind of cool. It's got a, a certain kind of throwback nature to it, I guess. But anyway, everybody's seen the Gatorade water bottles and you can kind of picture those. They're green with the orange lid and you see them at every sporting event. Uh, they actually make a metal one. <clears throat> so Gatorade makes a stainless steel water bottle and it huh. looks just like the plastic ones. Now you can get in a, it's got an orange top and it's green, you know, or whatever, but it's stainless steel. You can get it in a couple of other colors like white and uh, there's a, a kind of a dark red, uh, like I said, a white and then also black. But the green, you know, it looks like a lot like the normal ones, but it's metal. Uh, obviously, it, it holds up a little better than the plastic ones and that kind of thing. So anyway, this is kind of neat. I know everybody likes, you know, Yetis or, you know, Hydro Flask or different, you know, different types of water bottles. But this will be one that, you know, most people in the office wouldn't have. So, um, so yeah. So the stainless steel water bottle, you can get it at Gatorade.com or you can just order it off Amazon or somewhere like that. Anyway, it's pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. 
Well, very cool. Uh, great episode. Uh, I think we'll start, you know, talking more about, you know, broadly, you know, digital, not necessarily digital marketing throughout the year, because again, it's all starting to kind of bleed together of exactly what it means from either patient access or care delivery, things like that are becoming more and more parts of our, uh, of our worlds. So uh, it's a great topic and would love to hear from anybody that, that uh, listened today. You can reach out to us, Twitter, LinkedIn, it's the easiest way to track us down. But if there's a topic or an expert or somebody we should have on the show, please, uh, please reach out. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.